Um, it seems like it's been a while. It's been a whole 24 hours since I've seen you from up here. But uh, it was a good day yesterday, wasn't it? I want to mention something to you all. Thought it would be a good place to start for today's session. There is, there has been, and there still is, this movement amongst Christianity that is called, even though sometimes people don't like it to be called this, called carnal Christianity. It is this idea that you can be saved, you can have put your faith in Christ for salvation without confessing Him as Lord. That it is possible to be saved by grace through faith and yet not have Him as the Lord of your life. What I mean by that is, this movement would say, if you put your faith in Christ and yet you never live for Christ, that is okay because you are saved by grace. You don't have to care about a life of obedience to the Lord because Christ obeyed for you. So, after seeing Christ and putting your faith, it doesn't matter how you live, you can live just like you were before. This whole movement continues today and it appeals to the natural man. It appeals to the natural man because it is not the gospel. You understand the true gospel doesn't appeal to the natural man, right? You want to know if you're on the right track, if, if you understand the gospel or not, does natural man reject it? This idea of carnal Christianity was invented by man so that you can try to have Christ as your Savior and still have your sin. It is a movement, although they would deny this, it is a movement that does not see Christ as worthy. That's the root. Carnal Christianity came into being because they saw Christ as good enough to be their Savior, but not worthy of their life. If Christ is not worthy of anything and everything, He's not worthy to you. This movement continues. It appeals to the natural man because we love our sin in the flesh. And we don't want to do away with it. But the scripture is clear. Yes, you are saved by grace, through faith, that not of your own doing. And yet, a faith without works is dead. James 2 says, you tell me you have faith, you show me that faith by your works. Not that you are justified, declared righteous by your own works, but that your faith that has justified you produces work. Remember, that's what we started talking about yesterday. We mentioned this idea that 
If you see Christ as worthy, you love and worship him. That love for Christ and worship of Christ replaces love for sin and self. This is why carnal Christianity cannot be true. You cannot love both God and sin. We presented this twofold idea yesterday that the heart of one who sees Christ as worthy loves and worships Christ, yes. But secondly, the fruit of someone who sees Christ as worthy is a what life? A changed life. We talked about four different areas yesterday. How the believer, if you want to know if you've seen Christ as worthy, have your affections changed? Has your purpose and pursuit in life changed? Has your perspective changed? Has your demeanor, attitude, countenance changed? And now today we're going to get even more practical. And tomorrow's session as well. Throughout the next two sessions, we are going to see that those who see Christ as worthy have their thoughts their actions, and every relationship changed. That's not going to mean perfect right away. But there will be an immediate change and an ongoing change. When you see Christ as worthy, your thoughts, actions, and all of your relationships change. Your thoughts and actions and relationships change from following, chasing, looking like the things of this world to being transformed in the pursuit of Christ and holy living. And it should not surprise us. You shouldn't think the same. You shouldn't act the same. You shouldn't have the same relationships because you're not the same. Right? If salvation was just when you're dead in your sins and then you're saved and you're still dead, okay, then you could expect no change. But you were dead, now you're alive. How can there not be change? You used to live for self, now you want to live for God. You used to not have the Spirit dwelling within you, now you do, and this gives you power to overcome sin. This means the rest of your life, and we spoke about it yesterday, will be one of war. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment battle with the remaining flesh. The lost person in this room may have some sorrow over sin, but they don't truly battle it. They don't truly war against it because they don't truly want to be rid of it. They might want to be done with the consequences of sin, but they don't actually want to do away with sin. They don't actually see it as offensive to God. They only see it as detrimental to self. Do you see how that is not a godly sorrow? A godly sorrow that says, I don't like my sin because of the consequences is not a godly sorrow. 
A godly sorrow is one who sees their sin, sees themselves as offending a holy God and in desperate need. That is godly sorrow. Yes, the life of the believer will be one of war. It will not be difficult. It will not be easy. But it is altogether worth it. And you will war against your flesh until the day you die. You know how we know this? Because of Scripture. Galatians 5 says, The Spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the Spirit. When you are not in Christ, you're just in the flesh. You don't have the Spirit. Hence, no warfare. But now that you have the Spirit, it wars against the flesh. The heart that does not see Christ as worthy will not change and does not truly want to change. So I would ask even now, if you sense that in your heart, if you have this godless sorrow that is more consumed with the consequences than the offense against God itself, beg God even now that you would see your sin. But let's get into it. Your thoughts are changed when you have seen Christ as worthy through his work on the cross. And these thoughts are changed in two ways. And it's a bit nuanced in the verbiage, but I want you to see how they're different things. Those who are saved by Jesus and see him as worthy, they think about things differently than they did before. And they also think about different things. The one who sees Christ as worthy, I'm going to say it again. You think about things differently and you think about different things. Those are different things. They are. Let's start with the first. You think about things differently. You might be asking, hey, where do I go in the Bible to tell someone? Maybe you're thinking about someone that, how do I tell someone that they are dead in their sins? How do I know? You go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 5 says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Okay, think about that. Dead in sins involved formerly walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. When you were dead, you followed the world and you followed the world's father, the devil. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. When you go from death to life, 
you're going to think about things differently. John 8:44 says this, those who were lost, you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. But those who are born of spirit and of God want to, desu- want to do the desires of God. You see, you used to have a worldview. That's really what worldview means. It means the way you perceive and intake the things of the world, the way you think about things. You were the center. You were the center of your world. You did everything that you wanted to do or you tried to do it. You chased the things you wanted. You desired happiness for self and would seek it anywhere you could find. You were a great worshiper of yourself. Isn't it interesting how mankind comes into this world being experts at worshiping themselves? You don't even have to be trained for it. You just know how to do it. Every decision you made was something that would further your own personal happiness. You did not care about God. But now, in Christ, you have a new worldview. You think about things differently because you base your beliefs the way you think on God's Word. No longer based upon your feelings No longer based upon what your desires are, but what God's desires are. And of course, we spoke about yesterday, if you know God, you should desire to do what He desires. God is now the center. God is the one that determines whether something is right or wrong, not you. God is the one that determines what you should be chasing after, not you. We have problems in our life when we think we're saved by Christ, but we're not guided by Christ. We have problems when we think, oh, we'll take Christ for salvation, but I'll find my own way. That's godless thinking. You change the way you think about various topics in the world, various things. For example... Abortion. You don't think about the topic of abortion based upon any sort of emotion or emotional argument that someone presents to you. You think about abortion, the killing of innocent life, in relation to what the Word of God says. God hates that. You should hate that. Somebody who says they put their faith in Christ but does not hate what God hates has not seen Christ. Think about the topic of homosexuality or transgenderism. People make some great arguments based upon what they feel or what they were born like. Well, I just told you what you were born like. You were born dead. How can you trust a dead person to tell you about themselves? So when you see these topics, you're not looking at it from, oh man, this, what do I think should be true? What do I think? You say, what does God think? And you conform your life to it. 
whether you initially want to or not. This is the mark of a believer because a lot of people will follow Christ up until the Word of God butts up against one of their, their beliefs. And when someone shows you what the Word of God says, if you say, I no longer want the Word of God anymore, you haven't seen Christ as worthy. But if you start, you have believed something, and somebody shows you from the Word of God that is not true, and you say, if God says it's not true, I must believe it. That is the mark of a believer. You submit to the Word. You submit to God. True submission, and this is true when we talk about marriage, for my wife, it's very easy to, for my wife to submit to me when I tell her to do something she wants to do. That's really easy. Hey, Victoria, I know you like pizza. Take a bite of that pizza. She's like, okay, I like pizza. But the real tension comes when I say something that she doesn't want to do. And of course, that analogy is imperfect because I am not a perfect man, right? But God is perfect, so you can trust that when he tells you to do something, you must submit. When you think about any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage, the world loves to uphold that as good, right, natural. But you combat that with the word, you combat that, and a scripture should come to mind. First Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your growing in holiness. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So the world says any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage is totally fine. It's natural. God says, this is my will for you. Abstain from it. Who are you going to believe? You might say you worship Christ as Lord, but you want to have nothing to do with this because it's too restricting. God's keeping you from pleasure. No, He is not. He is linking you to pleasure. Sexual activity is not inherently evil, but it has a time and a place that God has designed. Anything outside of that is against God. You might think about lying. We tend to compare sins, don't we? We tend to think about some sins as less important than others. I will follow Christ with the big ones, but with the little ones like the lying... I don't need to submit to God because he saves me by grace and I'm, I'm keeping the big ones out of my life. You know what God says about the little sin of lying? Proverbs 12, lying lips are detestable to the Lord. You can really fill in the blank for any sin. Sin is detestable to God. If you are willing to give up 99% of sin, but hold on to the 1%, you haven't seen Christ as worthy. Please, 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I am not perfect. There are times where I sin. But the mark of the believer says, I want to do away with not just most of my sin, but all of it. This is why we're starting with, we started with the heart yesterday. Now we're talking about your mind. Your thoughts must submit to God. You might think about the topic of modesty. And sometimes we don't want to talk about it because we automatically think, oh, it's legalistic to talk about modesty. Is it? It would be legalistic if I said, based upon your clothing, you're justified before God. That would be legalistic. But if you think about modesty in light of who Christ is, your thoughts about modesty change. Maybe before Christ you thought, I don't care. Maybe before Christ you thought, I don't really need to consider that. So often, though, I see Christians, and not even just with modesty, and I'm not even just talking about girls, but guys too. They have this mindset of, how close can I get to the line? How close can I get before crossing over? Why? The one who sees Christ as worthy no longer thinks about themselves, but about others. You no longer want to draw attention to yourself, but you want to serve others. Some of you might say in your hearts, I'm willing to submit to God, but I'm not willing to change the clothes I wear. Are you kidding me? No, we're not being legalistic about this. But you know in your heart why you choose to wear something. Do you want to draw someone's attention and ignite lusts of the flesh of the world? We should not. But you don't just think about topics differently. And this is very important because we mentioned there are, there are people you will interact with that are homosexual, transgender, that engage in sexual sin before marriage, right? You don't just think about topics differently. You think about sinners differently. You think about sinners differently as a saved person because you know you are one and you know Ephesians 2 is true. You look upon the world and you say, they act that way because they are dead. You don't stand on the side of the road with a sign and say, God hates you. You look at a sinner now with compassion. You look and say, that was me. Or that could have been me. Or that will be me apart from Christ. You think about sinners differently. You show compassion. Why did Jesus come to this earth? It's, he said, I came to seek and save the, the lost. If Christ came to do that, we should have that attitude as well. Not that we can save them, but that we should want them to be saved. So, when you see somebody that is homosexual, you do not blast them down the river. 
You do not shun them and not talk to them. You do not conform to them, but you love them. And you want them to know God. When you see someone that dresses immodestly, maybe you should think, do they know the Lord? Not saying that clothes justifies you. But if you see that somebody does not care, it's because they're dead. Pray for them. You don't blast them out the door. When somebody is committing sexual sin and they do not know Christ, you should stop and pray. Show them Christ. Don't tell them a list of rules. This is why rules cannot produce true change. Stop looking at pornography. Okay. If they don't love Christ, they won't. Stop having same-sex attraction. If they don't know Christ, they won't. You pray. You get on your knees to the one who can change their heart. You see, you don't just think about topics differently. You think about people differently. You think about yourself differently. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The way you know what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect, is from the Scriptures. This is why you must submit to the Scriptures. Those who see Christ as worthy do not want to be conformed to this world. They want to be transformed. How? Through the Spirit using the Word of God. Before Christ, you could care less what the Bible said. You believe what you felt was right. And you only didn't conform to the world when you thought it would produce pain. But you didn't really love God. But now in Christ, you think about things differently. But you also think about different things. We read this passage yesterday, but I thought it would be good to read it again. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to pause there for a second. Here's a simple truth. You think about things that you love. You just do. You don't have to train yourself to do it. Your mind is drawn to the things that you love. You can hide your actions pretty well. I mean, you can hide your thoughts pretty well, I should say. But you know in your heart the things that you love by the things that you think about. It says, do not love the world because the one that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God, that is not just your actions. 
That is your thoughts. This is what Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount. You say, I have not committed adultery, but in your heart do you lust? What do you think about? What do you dwell on? Those who are not in Christ often think about inappropriate things or they exalt good things to be ultimate things. That's really what happens. You think about inappropriate things or you exalt good things to be ultimate things. Young men and young women often think inappropriately about the opposite sex. You may be exposed to these pornographic images all the time, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and you love to fill your mind with those thoughts because it ignites the flesh. Maybe it's not lust. Maybe it's you're constantly thinking about a way that you can stand out from the crowd, become more popular, have more friends. Maybe you actively think about and plot how you can manipulate somebody to do something for you. Maybe you think about how someone has wronged you before and offended you and you love to stir it up in your heart and in your mind. You plot vengeance maybe or you just hold on to bitterness. You may have your mind consumed with things of the world, wealth and stuff. So you think about it. You think about that stuff and you think about how to get that stuff. Your mind might be consumed with sports or video games or a book or a show or social media. Again, none of those things are inherently bad, but good things made ultimate things are idols. But the natural man thinks about those things and absent from their thoughts are the things of God. The things of God are only thought about when it serves a certain end. I want to go to church so that I can hang out with so-and-so. Such were the things you thought about. But now, with a new identity, new affections, a new purpose, a new perspective, you now think about different things. This does not mean perfectly. And it also does not mean you can't think about sports or video games or somebody else. But it means they no longer have the pedestal of worship in your heart. It means they have been taken down They have been crushed as the objects of your worship. And yet, you still battle this. The believer knows with that warfare, your flesh is constantly trying to prop something back up where God is. That is why you must think of the cross. Think of what Christ has done for you. If you want to remove an idol in your heart, it will not happen by saying, stop thinking about it. Because when I say, stop thinking about something, what do you do? You keep thinking about it. 
The only way you stop exalting something is if you worship something greater. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that is speaking of a believer, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Do you know what that means? Keep. It means you're already doing it. To be raised from the dead means now you have already changed, but you are to keep seeking the things above where Christ is, your Savior, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why should you do that? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you have been saved by the grace of God through faith in the finished work of Christ, you want to put off worldly thinking. You put your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. You see, this is why there's a cost to following Jesus. This is where the carnal Christians get up and leave. They want Christ as Savior, but they don't want Him as Lord. You start stepping into the territory of, wait, I've got to submit my thoughts to God? I don't want that. You haven't seen Him. But the Christian wants to do away with the lustful thought and wants to put on pure thinking. You want to do away with trying to deceive people or manipulate people as you put on kindness and try to speak truth. You want to do away with bitterness in your heart. You want to do away with that tension between you and another because you have been forgiven much. You have peace. Why would you linger without peace amongst your friends? You no longer want to daydream during a sermon because you want to hear the truth. Again, we don't do this perfectly if we did it perfectly, there would not be war. I don't want you to leave this room discouraged thinking I'm not perfect. That's not what I'm trying to say. Are you warring though? Are you fighting this? Are you seeking to put these things off, not in your own strength, but in the power of Christ? You repent and turn away from these things. You do not stay there. They are not your heart's object of worship. So hopefully you have seen in just a glimpse, we don't have time to talk about all the plenty of other ways we can think about things differently. But you think about things differently when you see Christ is worthy and you think about different things. Guess what? It should, not, it should also follow that your actions are different too. Somebody who says, I think differently, I think about holy things, but they don't act. It's just thoughts. It produces nothing. It's empty. You see, Paul, remember, he said his only boast was in the cross of Christ. When he saw that, when he saw Christ as worthy, his actions immediately changed. You say, how do I know that? Galatians tells us 
that people who heard of Saul at the time become Paul. They said, he who once persecuted us, because that's what Paul's background was, killing Christians in the name of God. He thought he was following God by putting to death the worshipers of Christ. But it says, people who perceived him after he was saved, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. He immediately stopped doing the things God hated, learned about Christ, and pursued what God loved. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. I think he called himself because that because he felt the immense weight of his sin. He used to call what was evil good and what was good evil. That is your heart in this room if you do not know Christ. You call that which is evil good and you call that which is good evil. But in Christ... Your thoughts and your heart are redeemed. You can see it for the first time. That what you used to call was evil is now good to you. And what you used to call good is evil. We spoke about Zacchaeus earlier this week. He once was cruel and robbed people. And then upon seeing Jesus, his whole life changed. I want you to see this passage with me. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Aaron, apparently, according to time, we're going for two hours this morning because... Uh, not where I need to be. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, okay? But stay with me. I'll just have to speed up. <laughs> First Corinthians 6. You're so not perfect. Right? So not perfect. Verse 9 through 11. Again, we, we spoke about this earlier this week. The mark of a believer is not sinless perfection. The mark of a believer is one who is saved by grace who sees their sin, they were of the world, but they've been saved by grace. Look at this, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals or effeminate, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If it stopped there, we have a problem. Because when I read that list, I say, oh my, I am guilty. If that is your identity, meaning apart from Christ, you still are identified in your sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, but verse 11 comes, such were some of you. If you're a believer, you say, yes, that was me. 
What's different about you? Was it your works that changed? No, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You were dead to sin. You are now alive to God. Romans 6, for the sake of time, you could just write this down. I'll read through it quickly. Knowing this, it says, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that you would no longer be slaves to sin. Someone tells you that you can see Christ as worthy but not have him as Lord, not submit your life to him. You go to this verse and say, the old self was crucified so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. You say, but I want Christ and my sin. You can't have it. And this also exposes the lie of all sin. Sin never produces freedom. Sin always enslaves. Goes on later in this passage. It says this, Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as what? Those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You are saved. You see Christ as worthy. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation, but because it's already been earned. You now strive against the flesh and seek to put to death your old deeds. But you need to remember this. It's not enough to say, I need to put off the old. It's not enough. You will be found wanting. You must put off the old and put on the new. You want to know how you can combat sin in your life? Some of you in this room, maybe you have seen Christ as worthy, but you still think in your mind and your heart right now, sins come to mind that you're having trouble giving up. You say in your heart, I want those replaced. I want those gone. You will not root them out without replacing them. This is what Galatians speaks of. You must put off the fruit of the flesh. You must put on the fruit of the Spirit. Matthew 6.24 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is warfare. We are commanded in Romans 8 to put to death the deeds of the flesh 
says this, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We must put to death the deeds of the flesh. John Owen has this famous saying, and I love this quote. He says, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. There's no neutral ground when it comes to sin. You either are killing it, or it will be killing you. This is not a call to an injury to your sin. This is not a call to just crippling it. This is not a call to flicking it away. This is a call to put it to death. I know this is a silly example, but I hate bees. I hate wasps. And I think what I hate more than bees and wasps is when somebody takes them lightly. I don't like it. And I don't like it when there's a big old wasp flying around there just like, ah, ah, you know, let's just shoo it away. Oh, there it is. Just flick it away. Kill the thing! If you let it linger, it's going to sting you and you have no grounds to complain to me. And if I get sting, then I'm really mad. But the same is so true of sin. If you don't put it to death, you shouldn't be surprised when it hurts you. I mean, come on. That's like saying you want to, you're going to drink, you're, you have a whole bottle of poison here, and you're like, I won't drink the whole bottle, I'll just drink a little bit. That's absurd. But that is what we do sometimes when we say, I just won't have all that sin, but I'll have some. That is ridiculous. You must put it to death. You must put it off, not to earn your salvation, but because it's been earned for you. You must put off the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. That is the way you crush it. That is the way you kill it. It will not be by a moment of emotions where you say, I really want to do it. That's not enough. It says to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit and its fruit and His fruit. The one who is growing in love will put away strife, factions, dissensions, disputes, jealousy. You try to put away strife, factions, disputes without love, it'll come back. The one who is growing in patience and love will be putting away outbursts of anger. The one who grows in goodness will not do something wrong to another person because it's not good to do that. The one who grows in self-control linked to Christ will not grow in impurity. You want to do away with lustful thinking. You must look to the cross. You want to do away with all these disagreements. You look to the cross and the Spirit produces works in you. 
And obviously, if you're growing in love for God, you will be putting away any idol that tries to take his place. But if you're not growing in love for God, you can rest assured you will find yourself content with idols in your life. This is why so many marriages fail. If you're not growing in love for your spouse, over time you will find that someone else will take the place. And that may start as a mere thought, but it will often end in some sort of action. And the same is true for you who are not growing in love for God. It will just be temporary behavior change. Those who see Christ as worthy have bowed the knee to him in everything, in every thought. That means you you don't even let one thought pass that is inappropriate that you do not condemn and repent of. And what you'll find is over time, the more you do this, the more sin you'll see. And you say, well, that doesn't sound fun. Oh, it is actually God sanctifying you. As you grow in Christ, you start to see more sin in your life than you ever have before. That's good. Because he's making you see it so you can turn from it. This is not a one-time thing that happens at salvation. This is an ongoing changing This is why we say, if your life looks the same, if you merely say the words, Christ is worthy, but your life has not changed, you haven't known him. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? My life hasn't changed a whole lot because I've just believed. That's okay. I'm not saying it happens all overnight. But do you now love him? Do you love him? If you do love him now, that's change. That's God working in you. If you want to now put to death the deeds of the flesh, that's God working in you. We talked about yesterday how sometimes young people really just might say in the back of their minds that I'll just wait to get right with God. I'll wait to see him as worthy. And it's because in that very moment, they see everything else as worthy. Something else is worthy of their time and affection. It's not God. But you must see through the disguise of sinful pleasures. They have the appearance of pleasure, but will kill. You know, one of my favorite books is a book called The Odyssey. There's this scene in The Odyssey. And this is a scene, it's a man named Odysseus. He has this crew. He's trying to, he's traversing the sea, basically. He's taking a long journey. And along the way, there's obstacles big things that they've got to overcome along the way. It's a fictional story, of course. And they come across this island that Odysseus, knowing what this, who inhabits this island, prepares his crew. This is the island of the Sirens. These are mythical creatures, kind of become more mermaid-like nowadays, but they were half woman, half bird, some sort of mythical creature, but they were known to pull people in, pull people in by their presumed beauty, but also their song. 
This song that they would sing would pierce the ears and mind so much so that it would bewitch someone and draw them in. They would hear the pleasurable sound and every ship would sail towards the island. And when they got there, the sirens, having drawn them in, would kill them. So Odysseus, knowing this, takes wax. He plugs up all the ears of his crew so that they would not hear the song. And he, having to hear the song, to know when he gets through, he has to know when he stops hearing it so that he can know it's safe to remove the wax. He has them tie him to the mast so that he cannot change the course of the ship. And they sail safely through. You see, part of defeating sin is knowing the allure of sin and preparing for it. You have to be able to identify that as a lie. It's going to sing you a sweet song. It's going to promise you pleasure. But you must stop your ears to that. You must call it a lie. And for the joy set before you, you reject it. Stop playing with sin. So many Christians want to be saved from the penalty of sin, but they don't want to be saved from the power of sin. And you show that when you confess Christ as Lord, but you keep playing with sin. You keep worshiping it. Do away with it. It is evil. It will kill. So, as we conclude, has your life changed? Maybe not fully, but has it changed at all? Can you detect even a faint heartbeat to know you're alive? Do you love God at all? Do you hate sin? Not just for its consequences, but because of the great offense. If you sense in your mind right now that you would rather pursue your sin than Christ, beg God to show you himself. You say, well, I'm lost. Will Christ hear my prayer? Beg God. Stop wondering that. Beg God to show you himself. Don't relent until he does. Like Jacob that wrestled with the angel of the Lord until he received a blessing, keep wrestling. Call out to God to show you himself. But if by God's grace you see him as worthy and you see yourself as unworthy and you detect a heartbeat of life, praise God. Follow that path to the end of your days. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of every thought, every action. And tomorrow we're going to see he's also worthy of every single relationship. Because the one who sees Christ as worthy has been transformed by the love of Christ. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this time. We thank you for another opportunity. You've allowed us all to wake up today. And there are people in this room who it's another day, another opportunity, a gracious opportunity, an undeserved opportunity, an unworthy display of a man is who we are. You've given us, though, another opportunity to repent, to see Christ as worthy. So we pray that you would open eyes to see. And like we end, we always cry out for help. Not just help that says, we'll contribute a little bit and you contribute a little bit, but help in the sense that without you, we are hopeless. I pray that those who know you, Lord, that maybe are struggling with sin, would be assured that their salvation rests in your works alone. But may they be reminded that because you are worthy, they should want to do away with these sins. Help us, we pray. We need it. Amen.